everything else versus Bitcoin essentially gets spent and dies. I want to be able to have reactive security. And I think OpVault is today the most straightforward, easiest to use way to do that. I will not be insulted by a clockmaker. <laughs> Overall, these kind of ways to make the network easier to both build on and interact with, I think is a really big deal. If Bitcoin existed when we started Twitter, we would not have to go down the ad model path. I mean, it's simple as that. Integrating Lightning into a social network is the killer app. Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin.Review podcast, where we explore developments and projects with the people who actually make them happen. The show is supported by Pod 2.0, Sat Streaming, and Coinkite. If you're a new listener, I'm NVK. I run CoinKite, where we've been helping people secure their Bitcoins for over a decade. We make the cold card and fun products like the Block Clock. You can find more information about it on CoinKite.com. So I'm a little hangover moving slow today. Uh, I did sauna for an hour earlier this morning to try to sweat it out. But still, man, this one, this one is a hard one. And uh, so cope with me. All right, so today I have a pretty cool group of guys here. Uh, Mr. Craig from Sparrow. Hi, Craig. Hey, hey, it's good to be back. Nice, nice to have you, sir. A new face, Mr. Rob Hamilton, the mini script influencer. Hey, uh, long time listener, first time caller. Good to be here. Okay. And uh, Alex Lishman. Hey, hey, great to be on the show. Probably the only Elixir developer in the whole Bitcoin space. <laughs> Maybe, actually. <laughs> so, all right. So I started a little housekeeping here. Uh, this week, I started the Learn to Build campaign to uh, show that uh, a cold card can be reproducibly built. But also, uh, most importantly, uh, I, think, uh, I think my realization is that we should not have websites that rate projects because if they are successful they become gatekeepers and then if they don't like anybody or don't like somebody they might not list them or they might list them and never review them or you know it's not a good set of incentives so i've come to the conclusion i don't like it so learn to build yourself i was a participant of learn to build it was really tricky you had to check out the branch that was tagged for the firmware and then run one docker command so it was very it was very involved i can understand uh, the friction and trying to get it all stood up. But it's it's cool to see, though, like to offer that functionality that you're able to bit by bit reproduce the entire firmware for the cold card is, you know, that, that's just great security practice. And it's not just cold card, right? I mean, like many harder wallets do it. Many harder wallets have trouble with this. I, I think like a lot of the software people uh, who who sort of like have opinions about this stuff, they don't understand that hardware has a lot of limitations. And, and like... You know, building hardware is not easy, even when it's like not reproducible. So like making hardware reproducible is, is, is it's a big of achievement that the whole industry is doing this. And uh, to have the to have the reviewers who are not really qualified to build this stuff uh, wanting to be reviewers, it's uh, it's it's tricky. I think if you're going to be a reviewer, you have to be like like ready to one, take shit from everybody and, and two like be an absolute expert in the topic, right? Otherwise it's like, ee, you know, like I think, I think, I, I don't know if it was the, this project or another, but like, you know, some people were angry that like you couldn't, you couldn't reproduce the bytes of the signature. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but like the whole point is that you don't have the keys to make the signature. So 
it is bit by bit, except for the signature bites. And uh, anyways, this this topic is very complicated uh, when you get down to the tech, and uh, very few people understand this really. Uh, and uh, I, I think that that generates extra drama on on Twitter and things like that because because of that. But I wanted to get this out of the way. It is reproducibly built. The the guys on that project have have confirmed with the with the help of uh, Carl Dawn, and uh, yep. Uh, oh, uh, one thing is, uh, don't create your own scripts to build. Use the scripts that the project provides to build. <laughs> Otherwise, you're in for a uh, a pile of hurt. Uh, so, so that was that. Hey, uh, Craig, is uh, is Sparrow reproducible? I can't remember now. Yes, it is. Yeah. So yes. there's uh, similar to what it sounds like uh, the cold card firm, firmware. You basically just have to clone it on a specific tag, run one command, and then you can just diff that against the the sort of downloaded tar.gz or .zip if you're on Windows, and uh, you can check that all the files that have been built are match the ones that uh, you down download. So. So yes, that is that's yeah, been, been the case for a few versions now. How how did I forget this? Because when I checked the signature before and added to the to the binary watch uh, bot that checks uh, the signature there on those downloadable binaries, which I'm more concerned than I am about the actual reproducibleness of the project. Yeah, agreed. I I think that that binary bot is a very helpful thing i mean it's it's as a developer you know that you're being watched so you have to be careful when you put your release out but that's a good thing um that additional little bit of pressure isn't a bad bad thing i've come to realize that and yeah i mean it's it's just so helpful to know that there's this external service that even if github does something you know, we all know that things are safe because we've got this external viewpoint and we'll know pretty fast if there's anything funny that happens behind the scenes. I mean, something did happen. Uh, GitHub was messing with the actual file of, of, I think, join markets. So the signatures were not matching. I mean, like, you know, like GitHub has been hacked before. I remember when that kid went and like changed the date or something on, on the Rails repository or something like that. It was years ago. And, you know, like it is a centralized point of failure. They do have their own keys and they are, you know, government cucked. And now Microsoft cucked too. So like, you know, if, if I was uh, a state actor, I'd go and just replace the binaries of, uh, of say, uh, Sparrow targeted at a specific like demographic, right? Because they have that capability and then, uh, or code card or whatever. And uh and then like that specific demographic wouldn't set off the the big alarms, right? But they would get an evil evil uh, release uh, if they don't check the signatures. It's uh, it's very important that people check signatures. It is. I think it's happened for Electrum, right? Yes, he did a few times, uh, more more than once. And uh, well, I mean, it, remember like SSL certificates on websites are like completely like bullshit, right? Like. It's like you have your your registrar or like, you know, they are running SSL or now everybody just put it through Cloudflare, right? And it's not really, you can't self-sign anymore. Used to be the case you could self-sign, but browsers now go big red. You self-sign, oh, it's not valid. (laughs) If it's not being held by a server that SID actor has access to, it's not a valid certificate. (laughs) And it's not even to get into, into like, you know, heart bleed and all that other shit, right? So, so yes, uh, Build and check your own shit. Learn to build. 
Yeah, but I mean, more than that, just learn to verify, right? When you download yes. Sparrow or Cold Card Firmware or whatever it is, just always verify. It should become something that you do with every piece of soft software that you get. And if you can't do it, then you should wonder whether you really need to run that piece of soft, soft software. That's my view on it now. Yeah, it's and and don't update too fast. Always like, you know, I'm super like, I don't like updating anything anymore. I'm scared of everything. <laughs> the computer is completely on. The phone is completely on. <laughs> so like, I just don't update anything. <laughs> it's like less known, safe version of something. Just use that until you absolutely have no choice. Because then you have to go check the project, check the dependencies, check like, you know, ideally even check the compiler, right? It's kind of interesting, but at least on the Mac stack, there is some attempt uh, like by, by Apple to check the signature of all the software that's like running on the computer. They do some interesting stuff that you have to be very, very advanced person on FreeBSD or Linux to do, uh, which most people don't. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, uh, it's scary out there. So uh, people should, should be very, very conservative in their updates. Moving on on the housekeeping to code card PRs, uh, we have this feature coming now called Seed Vault, where you can store more seeds on the same code card. You can store also, like you can store even a BIP85 plus passphrase as your new seed. Essentially, if it's a seed, you can store uh, and you can use it. So you can apply the XPriv now as, as your operating thing and you can unload it as well, which is kind of cool. Is that like, uh, would I be able to pass in a PSBT and the cold card could figure out like which of my saved vaults I'm trying to sign from, or do I need to like load the vault profile on the cold card? Like, are you able to you access have to load it? Okay. You load it and then it becomes your signing thing. Got it. Okay. A bit like seed signer, but like it's a different sort of purpose and sort of like a, the idea really is like, you need a secure environment to like operate seeds that may not be your principal seed, right? Like. You, you have backups that you're trying to deal with. You have like, or, or like sweep something or, you know, extra seeds from test devices that are not necessarily BIP85, you know, that kind of stuff. We just, we just want to expand this to like, okay, listen, it's a, the device can sign shit. So might as well sign for other seeds. Uh, Cause we do have the ephemeral seeds now too, which now they can be stored. The other thing is the, now we can write logs. Well, working on writing logs to the microSD card when you use the HSM mode. Uh, Alex, I think you, you used HSM before and Craig, you were being working on maybe integrating it. Now you can log it, which is kind of cool and start locally a log of everything that happened. That's great. I love that. I had an interesting idea today on, on how one could use cold card HSM. What, what about a particular mode that um, focused on signing only valid pay joins? Seventy-eight. Yeah, uh, there was a limitation on that. I can't remember what was it. So, just related to pay joins, um, it's not on the list, but just throw it in because it's relevant. Um, PDK uh, pay join dev kit just got released, which works with native PSBTs. So that may be an interesting synergy use case for yeah. the call card to work with it. That just okay. dropped like this morning, so I didn't get it into the notes for the show. Yeah, Craig, I, I think I think didn't you mention this to me before? 
I'm not sure I did. I mean, it's, it's just occurred to me. So with basically with BIP 78, you have a whole list of things that when you need to sign it, you need to check all these different things on the PSPT. And if they are all true, then you're basically safe to sign. It's, it kind of, it, it kind of makes it um, so you don't have to check. So all of those checks, I think, could be done by the HSM and then it could just sign, which could mean that you would be able to not need a hot wallet. You could basically have a cold card running in HSM and that could sign all of the... the I, lo- I love that. Yeah. Uh, let's let's uh, let's make it happen. Uh, I'm gonna connect you with uh, with Andre, who's who's now like uh, essentially like the the lead on the HSM, and uh, yeah, I think we should make this happen. It's exciting. I, I want to see like secret <laughs> bunker being used more. Like you know, it's kind of nerdy, it's kind of out there, but like you know, it's, it's the replacement for a hundred thousand dollar HSM server. <laughs> You know, like for free. I spent a couple of weeks with CK Bunker a couple months back, and it's a really amazing feature. I think very under discussed, underutilized. Like it's a very powerful stack to have, like you said, an HSM, but not having to spend hundred grand to deploy one. And for the PageOne integration, I imagine the logic should be relatively straightforward in that you're just making sure that you're, you know, on net, you're not decreasing your total balance. You're just, you know, taking some of your other UTXOs and you're sending back to yourself. Right. You can do that as a contained like logic gate, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, it's it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'll have to think, think it through. This is just an idea that I had today without having to going through and doing the research on it. But I would imagine that there's a way that that it can can be done. Um, uh, yeah, perhaps we will have, we'll have to get Mr. Dan Gold involved. Yeah, I mean, as long as we don't need any weird signing, like different signing kind of feature, it should already work out of the box. Uh, if we do need, I mean, we can always like tweak it and, and add to the APIs, right? And uh, yeah, I, I feel like once we have something like Sparrow talking to CK Bunker or or integrated CK Bunker APIs or something like that, I think that, that this kind of like, so people don't need an extra UI thing happening, like the CK Bunker UI, they can use like Sparrow or, or just for specific APIs, not for everything. I think people are going to use it. Uh, you know, it's too much to ask, I think, for people to use CK Bunker, like the actual script that runs the local web server and stuff. Uh, that's that's why I was curious to see if uh, if Craig makes some advancements in uh, integrating with, uh, with Sparrow. Well, I'm currently waiting on you, actually, your team. Oh, so. So, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I had a question about uh, what, what's the current throughput like on the MK4 for, for C Bunker, um, like in terms of sort of numbers numbers of transactions you can sign at a given time or bandwidth uh i mean it's i think with 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 mark four it's it's essentially like the the full almost the full two megabytes of like bitcoin's network limit oh okay oh so nice. i don't think it matters anymore yeah like oh sweet you know it's gonna be a little shy of that right because like there is there is some uh some some extra data that goes and like you know there's some leakage there of of efficiency on on like but but we're 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 close to like being like quite close to what the the bitcoin network itself uses as a limit which is about 2 megabytes but if you're sending psbts they're a lot bigger yes that yeah, that okay. shouldn't i you know i'm sure there is a limit yeah but like you know like i i can't like i think you need to test it out cuz i think you also matter like what kind of transactions they are and like how they're being signed and you know it's not going to be as simple as a megabyte limit, I think. 
because uh, you're, you're going to definitely bump into probably some edge cases. But I think it's worth testing. Like you can let yeah. us know because maybe we can find some efficiencies and, and sort of like just tweak it. Awesome. Yeah. It's a great idea. I mean, I've been, you know, one of the things that is like, I, I think is sort of a gap in the, in the enterprise market is this like Bitcoin HSM that yep. sort of is like data center ready. And I mean, it's, you know, theoretically, you know, with CK Bunker, you can, you can hook it up to a server and use it, use it as like an HSM for a hot wallet or something like that. So but that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, way, way back in the day, that's what we did for CoinKite.com when it was like the, the backend stuff, right? Like, and we were going to sell to Big O the, the HSM, uh, the HSMs we made way back, the servers, but then, you know, we couldn't find the, the right, uh, the right deal, but we've always wanted to make a Bitcoin server, but the market is not ready to buy one. You know, it's like, it's not cheap to make the stuff right. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and it's also not simple because we don't want to just have an, a secure enclave and let people just run whatever the fuck they want. Cause that's how they're going to get robbed. So, you know, like it's a weird balance. The market is not quite there yet, but you know, we can learn all the lessons we need to learn a CK bunker and hopefully just repackage that as a server. Cause we can make, mm-hmm. maybe even make a PCI board, right? Like, yeah. With a cold card board on it, uh, and, and see how it goes later on. We'll see. Let's see. Let's see how people play with it. That'd be cool. Yeah. All right, uh, so XOR seed save, that's, that's just you being able to save one of the XOR, uh, the seed XOR legs, right? Like one of the, the parts as your seed so you can deposit money and you can like maybe spend money so you have like a robber's money on one of the seed XOR parts. Uh, so it's truly plausible deniable, but you can actually do the operation on the cold card. Um, all right. Uh, the other housekeeping thing here is the censorship rant. <laughs> Demos versus Apple saga. This is like really annoying. Uh, it's classic Apple. They are going to do this every single time that there is something that they don't understand or that uh, could hurt their bottom line or both. They do make the best hardware, so it's very hard to, to switch. You know, like it might not be a shared opinion, but Android is shit. And uh, it is very hard to, to change. I mean, it, you know, Damos had to, to take out the zaps or the zaps as they were to stay in the store. But, you know, like just the way Apple removed the Bitcoin wallets in 2014, they had to, to turn around. They're going to do the same. It's a matter of time. I'm pretty optimist on this. It's like you can't, you can't keep technology out. Uh, and if you do, then eventually you're going to get some antitrust shit. You're going to like... You know, they're going to have to eventually probably open the store anyways in Europe. So I think Apple's iron hand on the walled garden is the days counted. I mean, I like the walled garden for the iPhone. I do find that, like, I have to think less about, like, the stuff that goes in. And I don't have to worry as much because, you know, the apps are tested and they're not robbing me somehow. But, you know, that comes with no freedom, right? Uh, I don't know how you guys feel about this. I mean, I have some firsthand experience because uh, at River we have an iOS app, um, and so you know it's 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 interesting. It's like uh, it's like kind of a Sisyphean sort of nightmare sometimes because you basically just you get different reviewers all the time of the app, and it's like every six months they're like, "Are you allowed to engage in virtual currency transmission? Like we've reviewed your app, you need to prove to us." And it's just like 
like we have to keep set, like proving the same thing to different people at Apple. <laughs> it's just like the most like, annoying. frustrating thing. And so it'll take like an extra two weeks to get like a new release approved just randomly. Like just, you know, every now and then some minor update to the app like requires like legal, you know, work. It's just like uh, a constant headache. And I, I think Apple is right now. I, I, I have a hunch, like internally, someone has told people to take a closer look at these apps. And so I think what's happening right now is this, is people paying especially close attention to cryptocurrency apps. And that's probably what precipitated this. Yeah, it's, you know, and all they have to do is change a policy and then like all the reviewers, the, the you know, the, the lemmings that work in the review department get confused and, you know, it's new stuff, right? And mm. they have a censorship system for the World Garden for many reasons. That is security. That is like their moat on 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 profit and stuff. So it's a growing pains. But I, I think it's, you know, it's just going to take some time. I think the interesting green shoots, depending on the app in the context, uh, progressive web apps are fun. I think like Domus is a good example where you're not storing large amounts of money. At worst, it's your social identity, right? And you can maybe live with information not be stored in a secure enclave of the phone, but it allows you to be able to push this content and have developers have a direct link to their end users that are going to be consuming the content. And it's just kind of the, you know, the enablement of Bitcoin tools between BDK and LDK that can all get compiled into WASM. Like that's what the mutiny guys are doing and crushing at, right? They can just push a Bitcoin app, a full wallet, lightning wallet into that, into any browser that's using iOS and they don't have to ask for permission. And when they want to do feature updates, they don't have to go through a review process. They just ship the code. And since it all compiles in the browser with WebAssembly, like it's just a great way to give the yeah. power back to the people in the right context, right? I wouldn't store large sums of money in a PWA, but it could, it's, a, it's yeah. a handy tool to have. I think the thing that's missing is we need a clever way of checking the signature on the package that is running on the on the browser, right? That PWA package. We need like a clever way of checking the signature on on that, like on that binary, right? Well, it's not really a binary, it gets compiled on the browser on the fly, right? But still, like we need a way of just checking those bytes somehow, right? So we know it's running on the browser. Uh that's that's my only fear with that is like, you know, the the lack of 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 ways of verifying the software. Yeah, it's hard to, you can't sign ahead of time because it's compiling in the browser. So you can't sign the payload ahead of time, I guess. Yep. Yeah, and it's a browser, which is never oh, yes. going to be the best. Um, it's never so, going to be secure. Yeah. You know, I wonder if somebody out there eventually creates a browser that's like, has like less features, but the feature that it does have is maybe it has like the, the say, Shasam for the packages that are going to get loaded. And it has like better segregation of things. I don't know. It's just specialized in loading PWAs and not, it doesn't even let you go on the normal internet. So like there's less issues across script, across domain attacks and things like that. Yeah. I mean, the the trouble really is that just the modern browser these days is such an incredible mm -hmm. piece of soft, 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 software. It needs to do so much that, and of course, if you're writing a, 
progressive web app, you want to have access to the modern features that you know, and and that just means you have to bring an incredible amount of stuff. I mean, if you've it's millions ever, and millions of lines of code. Yeah, I mean, if you if you ever worked with a framework that has tried to build a browser in, and Java has has one, it's a really shit browser. But if you've ever even just had a look at that, it's this massive piece of code. Now, luckily with Sparrow, I just get to take it out. It's not part of Sparrow in any way, but. Um, you just get, get an appreciation for how complex a browser is. It's just this massive pile of code. And a lot of it is very, I don't know, the, the word poorly defined comes comes to mind because it has to handle such a wide variety of, of kind of loosely defined inputs. Yep. It's, uh, you know, the browser is, is hell. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I didn't want to talk initially because I wasn't sure if it was like maybe just me who missed it, but it seems like everybody missed it. The Ledger Donjon guys for the uh, firmware extraction for the Jade, right, on the ESP32 yeah, boards. Like, that's like from January, but I only saw it now. I just saw it because Staticus tweeted about it. And yeah, then, and then I saw it. Yeah, and that's the only reason why I saw it. Yeah, I totally yeah. slipped me. It's like I've been saying this forever. Like ESP32 is like unusable platform for security devices, right? The way to get around this is by using a cloud pin server, which yep. that could be uh, uh, gone around by a state actor just asking them for that pin blob. And then there is no, uh, they can they can brute force the pins if they take it from the server because there's no uh, way for you to slow down the, the, the pin attempts, right? It's just a blob. As far as so, I know, yeah. So anyways, uh, I think like Jade's very cool device. I just, it's a great, cool device for some multi-sig uses. I really, really don't think is a good device for single-sig because of the platform that it uses. Uh, same same way I feel about, like, Trezor, too. Like, it's just, like, it's an unsecure hardware device. And uh, it's amazing because the, 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 the cost is, like, super low, right? It has a camera. It can do all these cool things. I, I think it's a very interesting project. Yeah. Just, low like, price point. I just, it's cheap. Yeah, I just... I just accessible. feel like projects need to like find a niche that like respects the trade-offs that they're making, right? Like it's like it's not just for everybody for everything, right? And uh anyway, so so essentially what they're doing there on that article, I didn't fully read it yet. I assume is essentially they can just run arbitrary code. Cause like we looked at the Jade and uh, you know, very easy to to probe memory, very easy to run arbitrary stuff on RAM. You know, it's just, it's not Jade itself. It's just a platform limitation. Well, they're able to decrypt the firmware, which contains private public key information that's used to communicate to Blockstream server. Yep. That's what they're saying. There you go. And I think and to give the other side only because he's not here, Rich, who like helps project manage and like oversee the, the Jade stuff says that you could also use a seed QR, similar to like a seed signer, where you just import it. And then when you turn off the device, it doesn't maintain that data in the firmware to have some way of trade-off. Yeah. So, so that's really terrible like again, anti-pattern, right? Like you shouldn't have your private keys exposed around you in your daily life. They should be under a mountain somewhere, right? Like the reason why you have a hardware wallet is so that your seed is not exposed on your desk. <laughs> yeah. You know, because otherwise you're inviting violence into your life, right? Like, you know, there's a reason for people to come get it from your house because it's unencrypted, right? So... Again, it's one of those things where like the trade-offs should not be presented as a solution for people to do everything, right? So anyways, I just hope that people start using these devices that have different kinds of trade-offs differently. You know, like they respect the trade-offs and use it in a pattern that like 
align to that. Um, yeah, it's still very early, and I think people are trying different different things, and the trade offs are not yet well understood. But you know, it's this is the way it needs to to grow. MIP thirty nine was what like twenty fourteen. So we only really we're not even ten years in and trying to understand yep. keeping twelve twenty four words secret and like what's the best That's way right. of doing that and all the trade offs. It, like it's younger than Bitcoin. Yep. Well, I mean, I think the main thing is like anything is hackable, right? Like given infinite resources, infinite samples and infinite budgets, anything is hackable. They're going to get into your cold card eventually, right? The key here is how much does it cost to do that? And what's the risk of destroying the sample? So essentially you're just, you're just increasing cost time and failure rate, right? That, that's the goal. And that's why you, keep, you have to keep on updating the hardware and, and trying different things, right? Now, with like platforms that are known to have no security, right? Like, you know, even the, the some ESP32 platforms models, they will have like some like secure enclaves and things for you to store things, but it's, it's fully hackable, like like cheap, easy, like get in kind of thing, right? That platform that Jade uses, like was designed for you to make like toys, for you to make like, you know, it's a Chinese plat- platform that's like ultra cheap in a single chip. And like, you know, it's probably fully backdoor by by MediaTek who makes some of those chips. Like, I can't imagine it wouldn't be, right? This is not FUD. It's just, you know, it's a chip. Like, you know, I, you can't trust it. Like, I mean, we don't trust the secure elements that we use. Like, you know, like it just assume is own, right? Assume is backdoored. So I really, really wish the marketing departments of all the hardware wallets would be a little bit more upfront about the trade-offs that they're making. You know, like, and, and like the vulnerability that they're exposing their users to, right? Like, it's a shame that like, we can't, can't have that. I, I get it. I mean, I, you know, I, I want to like say all kinds of things about cold card too, but like, you know, the, there, there is limits to what the hardware can do, especially for a hundred two hundred dollars right? I mean, it's. Anyways. Yeah. And I, th- I think, you know, the, going back to what we were saying earlier, the, the pain points are really around key management and losing keys rather than the sort of exploits i mean that's where most of the pain is these days um, yep that's that's just the truth of it agreed i'm a big fan of michael flaxman's uh 10x security guide multi-vendor multi-sig if you're going to try and touch different things like i like playing around with that and just have all these trade-offs openly there and don't put all your eggs in one single basket one single kit i really like his setup i just don't like the part of the custom derivation paths and other things that he has in there it adds a bit more complexity but that's just like, you know, security oh. people. You ask 10 security people what they think about something, they're all going to come with 10 different, 11 different answers, right? Like, Yeah, that's as far as blinded XPubs, right? You can get random derivation paths and stuff. I think it's separate from the 10X security guide. But okay. um, but anyway, yeah, no, it's uh, th- th- hopefully descriptors fix a lot of that derivation path stuff. Because if you just keep a physical backup that's part and stored, you have one go-to file. I mean, what we need to do really is de-risk keys. Right. So like that's what mini script and like more complex multi sig setup. Frost really does that. Right? Yeah. Like, re- listen to the Frost episode is worth it. I'd love like, Yeah. Jesse does great know, work on that. Yeah. It's like the idea of de risking the keys themselves, like will give some breathing room to the harder wallets. Right. So then you can use a harder wallet that is not that physically secure. Right. Because that key can only do so much uh, in terms of the threshold that's signing. Uh, we're going to get there. Yeah. It's early. So, all right, let's start with the software updates and releases. Uh, all right, code card 5.1.3, uh, new feature, batch sign, PSPTs, advanced tools, file management, batch sign. 
It's a very useful feature if you have multiple PSBTs. Say, for example, you're moving wallets and you don't want to consolidate all into a single transaction. You want to do like, I don't know, like 50 different transactions to, to map old UTXO to new UTXO kind of thing. You can just load those PSBTs and, and just go, yes, 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 kind of thing, instead of having to load each. Uh, we have a, a privacy feature that we're working on that that will leverage this. It's still in the works. So, and because privacy features normally come with some drama, I'm gonna like not sort of get into the details until we're certain we wanna we wanna do some stuff there. And yes, man, change key origin information export in multi-sig address address.csv to match uh, BIP uh, 0308. Yes, been address explorer UX cosmetics now with arrows and dots and deposit mode being worked on. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about deposit mode. I really want that to happen. What's deposit mode? I want to have a code card that only has the XPUB on it so I can keep it on my desk uh, and not in, you know, to cross the ocean in some safe deposit box kind of thing so that I can check addresses without having the private key at risk that's great yeah pretty excited about that because you know like the xpub want to be as protective as we are with the the xpriv because we want to make sure it's not compromised so that when you check addresses the addresses are properly true right so anyways trust nothing <laughs> cold card colors there's the gold and the glow cubby uh, and there's gonna be more colors coming too i'm like going color crazy edge version 6.1.0x mini script and mini tap script support tap script up to eight leaves tap root spending signing multi-sig bip 129 bitcoin secure multi-sig setup so bsms uh so for the people that don't know the edge version is essentially a dev version uh you shouldn't be using this if you're not an advanced person it's signed as well, so you can choose the normal release that is like for everybody. And then there is the edge release, which is for people that want to experiment with stuff that is new, that we're still not super comfortable yet putting on the on the the main release for everybody else. Uh, so all the, the mini script influencers now have uh, a device to sign. I spent my after the timing was really good. My shipment of all of these colored cold cards arrived yesterday. And then I spent probably 45 minutes flashing all of them. And uh, I've actually, so it's really interesting. So maybe just like take one step back and just talk about what is Miniscript. Go became, for it. Yeah, just. Uh, Shield, Miniscript influencer. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll keep it at a high level to not get too lost in the weeds because there's definitely plenty of weeds to get lost in. But it was a project out of the Blockstream team uh, in 2018 or so with Peter Will and Andrew Polstra and Sanket really leading the charge. And the whole mission was everyone that uses Bitcoin predominantly uses it in a very straightforward form of either a single SIG or a multi-SIG. And the reason why you do that is because you have a very strict sense of knowing how to interface with those signature schemes. And uh, there, there's not many moving parts. Opcheck multi-SIG just looks at the XPUBs and looks at the signatures and checks everything's fine. There are other things you can do in Bitcoin script, though. The problem is, is if you're going to start arbitrarily 
throwing together Bitcoin scripts and locking your money behind these pay to witness script hashes or pay to script hashes, you could permanently lock your money. Sometimes not even if you make a mistake that you were expecting. Mini script both accidents are going to be a thing. Yeah. Uh, Odell's already claimed that he wants to uh, lose all of his Bitcoin in a mini script accident. So uh, the whole mission of mini script, though, was let's say let's take the 256 opcodes that exist in Bitcoin and let's skinny it down to 20. And if we can set certain script structures around them, we can treat them like Lego bricks and you can have more involved ways of securing your Bitcoin. So a very straightforward, uh, even before I go into the examples, there's three tools. Signatures, we all know and love. A time lock, which can be a relative time lock or an absolute time lock. And you also can pick either clock um, wall time, like actual time on a clock or block height. And then you also can do hash lock. So you can reveal a pre-image and allows you to be able to use that almost like a password to uh, open up spending conditions. So a very straightforward example of, I think, maybe something in a couple of years people would think about using is, let's say you have a, instead of a two of three multi-sig, you can have a three of three multi-sig, but then if the funds haven't moved in six months, it becomes a two of three. And then if the funds haven't moved in a year and a half, it can become a one of three, right? So adding these like disaster recovery layers embedded in Bitcoin script, that allows you to kind of really uh, make Bitcoin more programmable money, right? And that's just one example of how you can leverage this. It's really a very open-ended tool. You can do really interesting things like my two of three plus your two of three, and that's not a four of six. You specifically can have keys like what we're using them for in Anchor Watch is this idea of a key hierarchy. So you can require a certain key in a two of three or a three of five must sign. And that seniority can add governance checks and making sure that there isn't uh, counterparties running off with funds. Another one is just having optional spending conditions, right? Like you can have after a certain amount of time has passed, you can enable other spending conditions that have unlocked. I can't remember. Is it possible to do a amount of, of no. sats? Yeah, that's that's one thing that's such a shame that was not possible. It's a limitation of Bitcoin script. Bitcoin script yeah. does not make a reference to the amount of money in the UTXO. Right. It just it, can you unlock this UTXO or not? Right. So cold card added support, uh, I think, a week ago today. Uh, and this is Wednesday. And uh, I waited for my cold cards. So I only had one MK4 to test with. So I was a little slow on the dev cycle. But then we integrated uh, the mini script feature. And it's fun and live to be testing around with right now. So uh, that's at a very high level, the mini script feature. The two things that are really important is uh, the way cold card integrates with it is it uses output descriptors and PSBTs. And since they're very generalized standards, we didn't have to re-architect our entire backend to add the cold card into it because previously we only had Ledger. But since you're using base primitives like output descriptors and PSBTs, we were able to kind of click it into our existing infrastructure. Very straightforward. Well, that's cool. Is yeah. there uh, is there more support for output descriptors for Miniscript uh, aside from Ledger? You mean beside, oh, like other devices that are supporting Miniscript? Yeah, PSBT with output descriptors. So Spectre with- DIY, which is the same firmware, the same software backend that SeedSigner uses. I've seen someone do a quick hack together to show that it works that way. The ones I've seen videos of, they haven't released yet, is the Bitbox 02, which I haven't seen if it actually uses PSBTs and output descriptors, but they tweeted a video out about it. And the Jade, which I now know uses output descriptors and PSBTs. So it seems like this has been a really good opportunity. And Ledger started it when they upgraded their firmware last year. They forced you to have to use output descriptors. So it kind of forced everyone to start supporting output descriptors. And that's been great because now we have a baseline interoperable way of having devices talk to each other across different software suites and signing devices that now can just have all that information there. Yeah, I just, the next thing I want to see is signed, detached signatures on everything. I love that. Yeah. I want to see signed PSBTs and signed output descriptors, sign all the things. 
I've noticed that the cold card does that. I was using it in virtual disk mode yesterday, and every time I spit out a signature, it gave me a detached signature with it. It was just great to see the PSVTs. Uh, Craig, is is there? Have you thought about maybe putting a setting, a checkbox that like you don't accept unsigned PSVTs? So like if there is no detached signature as part of the upload, you don't accept it. Um, it's an interesting thought. You know, the, the one trouble with these detached signatures is, is I'm finding that I'm getting users coming to me confused. You know, what is this, yes. this thing? You know, <laughs> which file is which? They don't really yes. know. You know, it's uh, so I, I do worry a little bit about adding a second file because you obviously need to upload that file as well. Then um, no, it would have to be a setting for adv- for people who care about like the paranoia level, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Um, it's definitely worth thinking about uh, if there's an easy way to do it. Um, it should be really easy. Because see, what I was thinking was, so for example, when you export a list of addresses, right? Say you want to create a white list of addresses, right? Um, you could export that list and Sparrow could load that list, right? Or double check the list against itself because it's a signed list yeah. that has a detached signature there. That's like ultra powerful, right? Like it, it becomes very hard for, for a man in the middle attack there where, you know, the, there's some virus on the computer or something that's trying to make Sparrow show a different address. Yeah, I think it actually makes a lot of sense because I could just basically look in the same folder that the PSPT yes. was in for that detached sign- sign- signature. And if it's a cold card and if the file's there, then we can check check it. And if there's anything wrong, then we can just show an error to the user. There's no particular reason why yep. that can't be enabled for everyone. Yep. We created a little website. It's uh, checkmsg.org. It's uh, an, uh, like a little Bitcoin message verifier, so you can check those those uh, signature the, those those signature files. Nice. All right, so Sparrow version one point seven point seven. If only we had the maker of that project to read the the the, the notes. I'll, I'll go and call him. <laughs> no, um, it was it it, it was th- this particular releases just a whole lot of different features. Um, there was sort of a general idea to focus on the higher fee rate that we found ourselves in these days and kind of try and improve various features around, around that. So it starts off with improving the, the mempool fee rates chart, which is a histogram chart, which we kind of all know from mempool.space. Um, it's that kind of that chart that shows you all the different uh, amounts of the transactions at different fee rates. And that kind of gives you an idea of where you're going to estimate your fees at. Uh, you can see whether things are coming down on, on the sort of downtrend, whether things are going up. It's, 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 a, it's a useful tool in the tool, toolbox. I wouldn't say it's the only thing that you should use when trying to estimate fees. There are other different things you should think about, but it certainly is a useful one. And I've always liked the fact that it was there and sort of available within the wallet. So with this release, it's basically just matching the colors to the mempool.space so that it's what everyone's kind of familiar with. Um, uh, it's really being able to offer over a longer time frame. So you can, if you've been running the wallet for a while, you can click on that little chart. It will expand into a bigger version of itself. And then there's a little two hour, which is currently what it shows, or a 24 hour. And if you've been running the wallet for a while, you've got 24 hours worth of data that you can show. So it might just be able to save you from going to mempool.space on you know that sort of time and you can see what's going on. 
That's um, the, the sort of one side of, of things on the fees. The other side is being able to add additional inputs to an RBF transaction as you are kind of increasing the fee rate. So when the fee rates get really high, it might be that the additional UTXO that Sparrow adds when you click the sort of increase fee button isn't enough and you actually need to add more just to increase that 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 fee. So this allows you to do it. And as you're increasing that fee slider, it allows additional UTXOs to join and then to um, basically support the fee rate that you're trying to create. Doesn't that become like a double knapsack problem there? Um, in this this case, it's actually pretty sim simple um, because we can basically see what the amount that is that that we need need to right. to kind kind of kind of use. It's not particularly you know ad advanced at this stage. It's just choosing a random. UTXO, but you can always hover over them in the transaction diagram and then just sort of exclude them one by one. If it in includes one that you don't particularly want to spend, you can just hover over it, click the little X and it will vanish and it won't come back. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of an, an easy way for you to be able to get over that particular issue if the fee rates are just going, going up very, very fast. Then there's a bunch of things around border wallets. So, Border wallets, again, are just a way to be able to memorize a seed in an easier way so you can basically think about it as a pattern, which is on a table or sort of a grid. And all you have to do is memorize that pattern, which human beings find much more easy than trying to memorize 12 words. So, so long as you can you kind, of, kind, of, kind of do that, you can recreate that so long as you can you have, have the grid. And the grid is not something you need to keep particularly secret you can you know put it on a, a flash drive or whatever and if someone finds it all they find is a grid with a whole lot of words words on it so it's it's a it's a useful tool if you can't take a hardware wallet or your computer or whatever across for example a board border border if you have that kind of limitation then this is a useful tool and this particular release just added a few features here to make it kind of more bulletproof in terms of its ux then we had um, the addition of the spendable property on BIP329 exports, and those are basically wallet label exports. But there's this kind of additional thing that wallet store, which is whether a UTXO is frozen or not, whether it can be spent. And it's, it's a kind of a weird piece of extra data that is not really it doesn't really fit well with anything else and that's kind of why it's been added and in fact this was merged this this week into the bip so you now have this additional field which you can have on any utxo any sort of output label you can now say whether that utxo is spend spend bendable or not and then that will then nice. be able to retain that state so should you then export and then import you don't lose that state and that's quite a nice thing for people who have flagged their wallet maybe they've flagged a whole lot of dust that they don't want to have you know spent or all kinds of reasons that you might want to freeze things you, so craig do you know if electrum is integrating bip uh 329 for the labels uh, I don't know I, I haven't checked I'm sure that um one could do so easily enough just look on their repo but I, I haven't had a look no man i really wish there was a, a like a, a self-run server to synchronize like bip the all these labels ah have you have you heard of uh, label base before? yes i yes the guy is working on it 
think it'll be great. Yeah, I think that the the it's it's a really great idea. What I'm what I'm looking for, and I, I believe he's working on this, is the ability to run it yourself. Yes, um, that has so, to happen. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you obviously don't want to be sending your labels along with your UTXOs and your TXIDs off to some central. You server. know, just send it straight to chain analysis so they get some <laughs> context on my transaction. <laughs> For sure. So, you know, there, there is that. But look, it looks like it's been well built. It's got encryption at rest. It's, I, I think that it's, it's, a, it's a decent job. He fully understands all of the concerns people will have, and he's working towards nice. a self-hosted version. So I'm looking forward, forward to that. And Sparrow may well have a way to integrate against that in the future. Moving on, we've just got a bunch of stuff around QRs. It's actually was a lot of it was to support the work that Seedhammer is doing. So they have um, this way to be able to, for example, stamp an output descriptor QR, which is not a simple thing to do. And then this was just basically some work to be able to read different kinds of QRs that they they make. Um, so that's a few features in there for that. Then we've got a few features around the tap sign signer. So. Um, I didn't actually know, know this, but I learned uh, a little while ago that uh, Nunchuck uses, um, or occasionally uses, I should say, non-standard derivation paths um, with the TapSign signer. So it was actually required for me to build a custom derivation path import um, so that you could use your Nunchuck wallet on Sparrow. So that's in there. And a few other other things, which you know, to make it kind of easier to back up the tap tap sign sign, and there's now a separate button before you had to kind of change nice. your pin, but now you can just click a button, and that's kind of kind of it. There's there, there's a long list of other smaller things. Uh, the one that I can recall at the top top of my my head is if you are uh, running a wallet of like a very large wallet with high address reuse, Sparrow would really bog down, get very slow, and then that was just a bottleneck which I managed to find. So um, I found that you know those Sparrow users who are maybe in, in a sort of sort of sort of exchange have found that this particular version will work much better for them because there tends to be in an exchange a lot of address reuse. You know, it's it's quite annoying. Like some uh, some exchanges or or brokerages or uh, like desks, they force you to to essentially reuse addresses or to the compliance or whatever. And some of them are just like poor tech, and then like or you have to give them a whitelist. And it's uh, it's quite annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean they've they've you know I've seen wallets now um, which have literally hundreds of transactions on one address. So you know it it unless you have focused on that particular use case, um, you know perhaps it's yeah it's it, at any rate this new version will handle that much better. And then the the last thing I'll mention is. Um, Basically, that little histogram that I mentioned earlier, uh, if you connect it to Bitcoin Core, uh, there is, there, or perhaps I should say there was a PR on the Bitcoin Core repo to uh, allow Bitcoin Core to produce the kind of data, the sort of fee histogram data required to produce that chart. Unfortunately, that PR hasn't been merged. So what we have to do is basically download all of the, the mempool kind of uh, um, sort of entries, which is data about every single transaction in the mempool, and then construct the uh, chart ourselves. And it turns out that if you make this call, which is uh, which is called get raw mempool true, the true being for verbose, then it will actually crash. Uh, it will cause the kernel to kill Bitcoin Core on a computer with four gigs of RAM or less. 
So, um, and that happens pretty much reliably. So I didn't actually know about, about this. I, I'm not sure if anyone did. And that has now been taken out with the new version. So Sparrow now will no longer crash Bitcoin Core um, on these kind of Raspberry Pis and, and these sort of low, low RAM servers that you might be using. Interesting. How many times do you have to hammer a, a piece of metal to get an output descriptor? That seems like a lot. That's a, that's a bicep. That's, that's arm day for you right there. Well, I believe they actually have a have a sort of machine that does it. Yeah, it's um, uh, oh, okay. There's a yeah. solenoid sort of like or like something like that that just goes. like on a XY sort of bed, gantry. It's a it's a cool little fun project. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm very focused on output descriptors because, especially once you leave like two of three, three of five, you want to you need to know all that data. So I'll have to give that project a look. That's the part that I don't like about output descriptors that you have to have a backup of it that's like yeah. proper, or you're kind of screwed. So, anyways, that that's something to to keep in mind. All right, thanks, Craig, for uh, keep on pushing this. Yeah, thanks, man. A shop of one, love it. Trident Wallet, uh, institutional grade open source. Bitcoin wallet version uh, 0.1. Rob, do you want to read your notes? <laughs> yeah, 0.1 was just because we haven't tagged a version yet. We the, the code's not out yet for review. But the the, the whole premise here was uh, kind of scratching my own itch for being able to offer insurance solutions around Bitcoin. And I mean, we've been working on this now for little over a year um, with two main tracks, getting the insurance operations side stood up and the tech side. So I'll just stay focused on the tech side for this audience. The whole crux of this was there weren't any wallets that supported Miniscript anywhere in any real capacity. Uh, when I first started working on this, Ledger didn't even merge it into their main firmware yet. And you know, Bitcoin Core just added support in version 25, which I think you guys covered last episode of Bitcoin.Review for signing support, right? So it was very, um, six months ago, it was very little support and uh, just started hacking away. We use our entire backend as Bitcoin DevKit. Shout out to Steve Myers and Alec Host, Flinny and Daniela and Thunderbisk and the whole crew that maintain that project over there. But the punchline is, is that we want to be able to leverage Miniscript for more involved security solutions so that we can have uh, custody arrangements that we, what we call negative control. So at no point, even if we got totally compromised, all of our seed phrases got hacked everywhere. Uh, we never could actually move money by ourselves unilaterally. This is kind of championing an idea of multiple institutions holding key information uh, as opposed to, I mean, but when we started the company, um, FTX was still in business, uh, Celsius was still in business, Prime Trust was still in business. Like there was a long list of people who all thought that, you know, they had decent arrangements. But uh, that's kind of what we've been building, though, is a more kind of leaning on the edge of this Bitcoin uh, security set and design set to offer more interesting uh, arrangements. And that's also going to include like retail versions that don't involve insurance at all, which would be stuff like uh uh, like I mentioned before, like a degrading multi-sig, that's three of five, then two of five, then one of five, right? I think the real way Miniscript in general is going to have adoption at any reasonable scale is having set templates that are going to be reviewed by many players and uh, kind of having consensus because the templates achieve a couple things. One, it helps signing devices kind of condense the amount of information they need to share on screen if you know it's within a certain constraint. Otherwise, you need to display the entire output descriptor in all of the XPubs, which is a UX nightmare. Additionally, it helps inter wallet interoperability support, so you're never gated into one single wallet. 
And uh, third, just understanding like, hey, we know that these script templates have been reviewed and peer reviewed multiple times. So there aren't any weird corner cases in Bitcoin script accidentally making your money disappear. So I think that's just really important also for consumer confidence. So what we've built basically to scratch our own itch is just an open dev playground to start like clicking things together and making arbitrary Bitcoin scripts so we can do testing. Uh, Craig, I think I showed you a demo Miami MVK. I showed you one back at Bitcoin Park a couple months ago. But the whole idea is just taking a very, if you want to see an example of this Bitcoin dev kit playground, it's uh, like a drag and drop. What you see is what you get. Uh, MIT scratch where you can start doing these custom scripts, hit compile, and it turns into an output descriptor. What we did was uh, we used BDK and we took one level of abstraction higher than that to things like a layer. So you have a spending layer that has multiple spending conditions that may, may or may not optionally be gated behind like a time lock. Right. And that's what we've started doing. And we it's been really interesting developing through it because I think there's a couple of things to start thinking about. One, derivation paths it becomes an interesting thing. One, with output descriptors, derivation paths are less of an important thing to be like super scrutinizing because if you have the output descriptor, it has the derivation path information in the output descriptor. That's kind of part of it. The other thing, too, is just as a quirk, the way Miniscript works, if you're using pay to witness script hash, when you provide a signature for a pay to witness script hash transaction, you're signing the entire transaction. So if you were to have this kind of construction where you say it's a three of three, and then after six months, it becomes a two of three, and then another six months becomes a one of three, you have maybe one device like a cold card as one of those three keys in each of those spending branches. But since it's pay to witness script hash, you're revealing that all at once. And a constraint of Miniscript because of this is you can't have the same identical public key in multiple places within a branch because you can't actually control once you sign it. Oh, I meant to sign for branch A, not branch B. So the way um, we get around this right now, and I'd say we, I think the other people that are using this are the Wizard Sardine guys with their Liana wallet, is we use different derivation paths for the different kind of things. Uh, what I use for the ledger is I take different hardened account paths for the different, like branch A is account one and branch B is account two, which Sounds is not like ideal, but like <laughs> the, 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 here's the opportunity though, is that since like there aren't a lot of players playing with like this at the moment, we can among the first early movers just kind of figure out what are the best standard ways of kind of scratching this itch. And then we can just set good security practices before anyone else is jumping in and trying to develop on top of this because, uh, Otherwise, I want to avoid it. Uh, what we kind of have right now for legacy multisig, where like everyone has different opinions and different derivation paths, and then you have to maintain wallet recovery, you know, like stuff and like explain all the different derivation paths. I just love for it to even maybe not. It doesn't have to be a bip or maybe a slip. I don't know, but like some sort of like, hey, if you're gonna use a wallet and a manuscript output descriptor, here's the general canonical ruling, and then we all can just agree yeah. on that before there's 10, 20 people that are building on top of it. Alex, are you guys looking at to like? Sort of, because you know, you guys are an institution, and you guys have to custody, you know, Bitcoin in in large mm -hmm. sums. Like, like, are you guys looking? I don't know how much you want to talk in public about this kind of stuff, but um, yeah. So we we don't reveal a whole lot, but we do reveal we do multi sig. Um, so you know, my take to date has been maximal simplicity with redundancy, and you know, for me, like, sort of at an institutional level, like seeing like just looking at what happened in Firebox, like com complexity is sort of the root of all <laughs> evil. Drug brain. Uh, yeah, no, it actually is like for, for me, um, for example, like for, you know, my hot take is like, I'm actually a fan of address reuse because I know 100% the keys uh, that I have 
can sign those addresses. Like I actually will never send Bitcoin to an address I haven't spent a little bit from. Yes. Uh, and I actually just did an interesting poll on Twitter the other day. I asked that if you've ever lost coins, um, did you lose them because you had your keys compromised or because you lost access to them? And it was like 10 to one lost access to them. And so, uh, so for that reason, we're not looking at sort of like adding more sort of complexity to like the rule set on chain for our cold storage. We're, we're mostly focused on looking at how we can um, just continually improve the security of the keys, the redundancy, um, like creating like very secure backup methodologies to, you know, protect against lots of different failure modes and kind of tooling at sort of the, at the protocol level is we're pretty happy with multi-sig. I'm very interested in frost because I think frost opens up a whole new world of potential opportunities uh, for institutions um, specifically institutions that need to keep addresses around because people might keep depositing to them, but need to change signer sets. So and I know you had an episode about that mm-hmm. uh, a few weeks ago, which I thought was very interesting. Um, so yeah, that's how I think about it. Yeah. I mean, we, we should do another episode on Miniscript or something because, you know, it's like a whole other rabbit hole that needs to be explored. Yeah, it is. And I definitely respect Grug Brain. Um, and I think it's kind of very early days, like, like cold card just added manuscript support a week ago. So I think it's going to take time to kind of iron out a lot of these things, have well-vetted templates to even mm-hmm. begin approaching this stuff, but you got to start somewhere. So that's why I'm kind of like trying to push oh, that no, forward. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's really cool. I mean, it, it, we're going to get there. Totally. I think people will build some cool applications. I, mm-hmm. I'm glad to see people working on it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Nunchuck iOS version 1.9.27, support for child pays for parents transactions. That's useful. Blockstream Green desktop version 1.2.2, added pass hash of uncompressed firmware when updating Jade, change better error messages, CI process for signing for Windows, improve ledger warning to select correct app on dashboard, improve Jade serial port writing i wish uh jade support sorry uh, blockstream green supported psbts that would make better hoping the new version that's coming out of the jades can support psbts i don't know about green though but i'm really hoping that it yeah. has psbt support uh keeper version 1.0.6 directly send remix remix sats from whirlpool to your multi-sig vault health check for citing devices Optimize the list of whitelisted public server and improved error messaging pertaining to node connectivity. I think that they also just released their uh, Android version of the Whirlpool client just cool. uh, in the last 24 hours or so. So that's really nice, nice, nice to see. More Whirlpool clients is always a good, good thing. Nice. All right, uh, Trezor version 23.6.1, CoinJoin candidate transactions, uh, new suite guide structure for optimized navigation, Enyance UI for improved account public key display. Umbro version 0.5.4, reimagine App Store, migration assistant feature enables transfer data from Raspberry Pi base Umbro to the new Umbro. Uh, Performance improvements. It's a pretty little uh, desktop that they have now. Yeah, so I mean, it's 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 
Good to see that we are moving beyond the Raspberry Pi era. I think. That oh that, Jesus Christ! Uh, please, right? I mean, Raspberry Pis are a shit coin. That's starting to <laughs> fade. <laughs> um, it's it's really nice to see all of these kind of um, nerd in the box solutions coming out with decent hardware that you can buy. You know, I have to actually run a Raspberry Pi. I'm looking at it right 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 now, and it's it's really just not ideal. I mean, it's, you know, if you've ever run a node on something a little bit better, then you know the difference between running it on sort of a hobbyist experimental, you know, device. I'm sure NVK, you could de describe it better, but there's a there's a big step up to be made when you get a decent computer. Yeah, it's uh, Raspberry Pis were never designed for what people use them for. Right. I mean, they were designed to be a cheap computer for people in Africa who can't afford a computer. Like literally that was their marketing way back then. And then, you know, people rightly wanted to use this full computer to do all kinds of cool stuff because it was so cheap. But it's like atrocious. And like they use Broadcom's uh, CPU, which has a, a completely preparatory closed blob in it. So it's terrible platform for Bitcoin uh, unless people write their own firmware. Remember. What you're putting on the SD card is DOS. It's not the firmware. So it doesn't matter how amazing secure your little OS version that is running on top of the firmware is because the firmware is still closed source and is from Broadcom. So uh, not good for Bitcoin. So let's use other platforms. There's a lot of better stuff out there. All right. Talking about that, start OS version 0.3.4.3, improved Tor reliability, experimental features, uh, updated branding, bug fixes. Uh, start OS, like their hardware is really cool. That's a start nine um, hardware. Floresta version 0 0.4.0. Lightweight Bitcoin full node implementation written in Rust. Powered by U3XO. Fixed config file, parse your doc orthography. Uh, edit support for output descriptors. Drive more addresses as we get transactions. Improve address... Selection, update, transaction, view on broadcast. Uh, I have not used this project yet. I, I actually have. Um, cool. uh, I actually ran it for the first time this week. And you can basically think of if you've ever written, uh, run EPS, uh, the Chris Belcher's Electrum personal server before. It's, it's this little uh, Python script that basically you put your XPUB into a config file and then it will serve basically it will be an electrum server but just for that xpub and the big saving there is that you don't have to have a full node um and well you don't have to have the full address index sitting behind behind that so it's a kind of very lightweight way to do it Floresta is actually even lighter weight because it uses u3xo to basically um, use a merkle uh, tree to effectively keep a hash of this sort of entire UTXO set. So it's it's a really lightweight way to do it. It's currently only on Signet, but I would encourage anyone who likes to play around with these things to give it a go. I was able to put my XPUB in and the thing had, had a running Electrum server for me in 20 minutes, I think. So it was pretty good. Um, and that was from scratch, you know, just just from the sort of Genesis block. So um, we'll have to see how it works on mainnet. I'm not sure, sure yet, but certainly it's a nice toy uh, to play around, around with now. Yeah, U3XO is interesting just as an optimization, right? Um, 
and for those who aren't familiar with it, uh, you know, the whole reason why you run the Bitcoin software is so you can get a set of the UTXOs, right? The unspent transactions of the current state of the ledger. And because of that, you need to store that all in RAM because you need to be able to quickly access it, right? When it comes time for you to validate a new batch of transactions coming in with a new block. As Craig mentioned though, UTXO is this way of using Merkle inclu inclusion proof. So you don't have to store and persist the entire UTXO set. You can just maintain this hash and then you can kind of walk your way up the Merkle tree and show that, you know, a new transaction coming in is part of the original route, right? So I think it's a great optimization for lighter weight Bitcoin clients because it quickly becomes if you're running a prune node, the, the thing that you start actually getting bottle, like bottlenecked on in running software is that UTXO set that has to sit in RAM. All right. 10101. One, um, that means 21. Version 1.0.20. This is a self custodial on chain and off chain wallet with trading. Do not trigger DLC manager periodic check twice. Simplify maker binary. Prefer unused addresses. Remove share on Twitter button temporarily. Use address cache. Set background transaction priority to 24 blocks. Improve error message trying to collab close LN with DLC channel. Simplify deserialization off channel ID. Stabilize key dependencies. Have anyone tried this project? I have not. I'm just uh, looking at it now it, uh, to read uh, the site. It combines the power of self-custodial on-chain and off-chain wallet with the vast world of trading. Uh, but I, I can't say more. Seems interesting. Yeah. Rindell told me to go check it out, which is my nerd stamp of approval that it's worth spending the time to poke into it. But I have not yep. had done it yet. So it's uh, uh, 1010.1.finance. <laughs> nice. I like, I appreciate the domain there. <laughs> Very cool. And it looks quite polished, uh, like at least their marketing thing here. Oh, look, the app also looks quite decent too. Oh, I think they were in the um, Wolf Accelerator. Ah, uh, okay. Nice. Orange Peel app version 1.4.0, event creation, event management, redesign event tab, and you can now send zaps on the Orange Peel app. Orange Peel app is essentially a, a dating app for Bitcoiners to find friends. Uh, and now also organize events to find friends. <laughs> uh, it's a great little project. Peach version 0 0.2.9. Update BDKRN. Fund escrow from Peach Wallet. Improve app startup time. Peach and Francais. Feature events, meetups, French PM, no fees for a month. Cool. Alex, do you want to do your update now? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, we shipped a few things at River recently that might be of interest to listeners. Um, on the consumer side, we ship Bitcoin auto withdrawals, which is uh, just an easier way to um, get sats into your cold storage. Uh, we offer a zero fee dollar cost averaging. So probably the most co cost efficient way to go from dollars into, uh, into sats on your cold card. And, uh, and then on the lightning side, we have a, we have a lightning, uh, a lightning product for developers. Um, it's a custodial lightning API. We just shipped some cool new features there, uh, including a all new sexy dashboard um, and a lot of LNURL support features, uh, which have been heavily in demand. So kind of relevant to the Bolt 12 discussion. I know there's a whole sort of like philosophical discussion around LNURL. What we're seeing is it's, you know, it's what people want because it solves the problem, even though it's not the absolute perfect technical solution. And, uh, and so we've been focused on making that easier for people. 
so yeah, those are those are our updates. Always working on some cool new things. So, um, Alex, I'm I'm curious to understand your auto withdrawal feature a little bit better. Is that just withdrawing to one address, or does it get multiple addresses? One address right now. Um, we've had some requests for other solutions. It is a philosophical thing where, and and my stance to date is like taking an XPub and generating deriving addresses for people on the fly is scary for me. I hate sending Bitcoin to addresses where there hasn't been a proof of being able to sign for it. What about a whitelist? Like a gigantic whitelist that is sent to you, PGP signed, uh, yeah. and then you load it up. And, and that, that's another option. And, and I would be comfortable. Like, I don't want to build a tool to generate a whitelist for somebody. Um, but if like, for example, you could export a cold card whitelist direct from the device um, and upload that to River. That's definitely something that that I would actually feel comfortable supporting. It's just like uh, wasn't sort of like I think the you know didn't need to block launching it. It's something we're evaluating. Okay, just one kind of thought there. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but this is really an ideal use case for. But 47, um, you know, it's sort of the, the payments. I mean, it, re it really, you know, the, the sort of use case where you have multiple payments between two parties um, mm -hmm. is ideal because they're the, the sort of cost of the notification transaction to set things up is, is kind of absorbed over multiple payments over a long period of time. You know, if you upload a list of addresses, the issue you always have is not only, you know, or even worse, an XPUB is you kind of then are giving away so much information about your wallet that, you know, that most Bitcoiners kind of shy away, away from that. And then they want to upload a small batch. Then that batch kind of runs out. Then you need to upload a second batch. All of that kind of um, PT is removed if you use the BIP47 approach. So I haven't seen it done um, apart from Lincoln Pool, which I believe uses BIP47 to handle withdrawals from their mining pool uh, or sort of payouts. I just think it's kind of underutilized for that particular use case. Of course, we don't yet have huge amount of wallets supporting BIP47, but it is growing and, you know, it kind of it's one of those chicken and egg things right when the the more uh wallets that support and the more ex exchange dangers that kind of use it we could really see that technology take off so anyway just uh just just a thought interesting that's definitely something we, we've actually it's funny we've actually had more people ask for that than being able to upload like address batches uh in xpubs definitely something i'm going to investigate what wallets do support receiving to pay names um, so right now we have Samurai Wallet, Sparrow Wallet, and Stack Wallet all support them. Um, cool. Those those are the sort of three, and I believe Blue Wallet has it as well. I'm not sure if they've rolled it out uh, completely yet. Uh, I would need to go and check check that, but I, I know that it's built and in in the sort of wallet. I'm just not sure exactly if they've rolled rolled, rolled it out yet. Very interesting. Are are cold cards going to support paying? I don't I don't know if there is any point in the hardware supporting yeah it's 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 not really it's a, a level it, it, it's it, not a hardware thing it, it actually can't right because what we actually are doing to create an address you're basically using uh the private key and the public key and doing ecdh on it so mm. you know i think it's possible i mean all things can be done but uh it's it tends to be something because the sort of wallet needs to generate new 
um, sort of addresses on the fly, you'd almost need to have a cold card in HSM mode to kind of, you know, be able to work that way. Yeah. Mm. You know, I don't like the pattern of hardware wallets generating deposit addresses. I, I think it's an anti-pattern for like security mm. and, and like insanity. I think the hardware wallet should just check the addresses that the wallets produce. So mm. the client wallet makes the make the addresses right in whatever script or whatever it wants to do, and the hardware wallet just goes and checks that address. Yeah, I, yeah. Oh, interesting. I, I, yeah. I think to generate addresses, you need big screen, you need thought, you need like that's your operational setup. Interesting. Right. The the hardware wallet shouldn't shouldn't be doing generation of anything. Hmm. It's too hard to to look. It's it's like it's not. Yeah, it's just it feels like an anti-pattern. I mean, that was the um, the bug that uh, Ledger had with many scripts because they were deriving the script stack, and there was a they were off by one for one of the opcodes, so you got an entirely different address. So, like exactly to your point, like have something very yeah. specialized generate that, that's like we use BDK to generate all of our addresses, right? So, and then you have the big screen and everything, right? If the address, I guess you have to check though, right? Because like. I was messing around with this yesterday with a cold card is that I can export and get 250 receive and change addresses. And it's really thorough. It doesn't just show the address. It also shows the script hub key hash. It goes through the whole, like there's a lot of information in that cold card address dump, which is really handy. And then it also has a detached signature. So you can prove that it actually came from the cold card. Interesting. Yeah. But still like, it, it, yeah. So there is a reason, for example, for we don't show addresses for uh, multisig because we don't trust that we can generate those addresses safely for people to deposit. Mm -hmm. We just want to check that the address is real. So, anyways, yeah. Any any other updates, Alex? Or um, I don't know if anything else relevant for this show. I mean, we're always working on cool new stuff. We do have some interesting technical lightning work we're doing uh, behind the scenes that I think we'll be ready to talk about later in the year sort of I'll hint at sort of like non-custodial sort of some custom software and some cool things we're working on. So just, yes. I'll just tease that on this show, but uh, not ready to, to, to talk about Don't it. Don't worry. Yet. Nobody listens to the show. You can actually just tell us the whole thing and like <laughs> nobody will know. We're like, we're like an hour and a half into the show. I mean, we're already lost the three people who listen to it. We, we only really do this show so that we get to like, just talk about shop and just, you know, shoot the shit. Yeah. Also, Sam did a really good research paper, right? On, Lightning and remittances yes. too. Yeah, yeah. We actually just launched a research paper, like sixty-page research paper on Lightning and international, or sorry, on Bitcoin and international payments, and just being really realistic uh, and objective about what the state of the, you know, the state of the union there effectively. So that's another interesting piece worth checking out. Uh, and then, yeah. Uh, other than that, you know, we have some cool features coming down the road for the brokerage product. Working on limit orders. Uh, always working on improving our lightning functionality and the wallet functionality. Uh, we have an Android app coming as well. So stay tuned. Uh, I actually, I would also share your views on, on Android. I'm not a huge Android fan, but we've been getting asked for this for years now. So finally, uh, acquiesce. No, it's good. It's good to have both. Right. I mean, it's like, yes, it's great. Like my, my, my hope is that Android becomes great. And yes. then I don't have to say shit and then I get to use it. Like, yeah. you know, I just not sugarcoating it. You know, I know that is the only option that like you can do your own stuff, but like, you know, the, the hardware is still fully cocked too. And the carrier still can like, you know, probably remote CRM there too. Like, you know, even the folks from Graphene, like, you know, like they're very honest on Twitter and like sort of like, you know, we're still bound by the hardware on this and, and 
and uh, you know, like it's not the panacea that the, the the privacy people like to to talk about. You know, it, yep. it's uh, the telcos do hold cell phones by the balls, uh, and they're not gonna let it go. Like the only way we get like decentralized sort of like uh, like freedom phones is if we do them on like Wi-Fi only, for example. Yep. And uh, you know, it's just it's just the nature of that. We're gonna get there. I am pretty hopeful that like. We're gonna end up getting better devices and more more freedom in that space as the time goes and Wi-Fi is like everywhere. Anyways, Project Spotlight. Men Menemoniki Menemoniki <laughs> deterministic backup and recovery of PHP keys using human readable phrases. Uh save your PGP key identity in the list. Oh yeah, I remember now this project. Somebody's trying to make it so that you can uh, map, remap BIP39 to uh like you know more english like cohesive sentences and things not sure how i feel about this uh but it's cool that people are doing it readability is nice that's i'll have to go give this a look because it's yeah. more data too for pg yes. right yeah and then making a full sentences um i'll have to give it a look Run Citadel. Uh, Citadel OS is a operating system of Umbro. Okay, so they had a bunch of updates. We've already talked about their updates. BitcoinExplorer.org. Uh, the free, open source, easy to set up, easy to use, self-hosted Explorer. Remember BitcoinExplorer.com? Like, that was the, it's the OG Explorer. It was really cool uh, because it was, they never had CSS. So it was all like, Proper, uh, 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 beautiful. The domain is gone. It's for sale. Boo. Anyways, it was nice. And there was a deposit, like a donation address at the bottom that I think had like over 100 BTC on it. You know, but in those days it was worth nothing. So uh, it's, uh, anyways, kind of cool to see that name show up again. Tapsim. Uh, Tapsim is a simple tool build and go for debugging Bitcoin TapScript transactions. Very cool. All right, Lightning, software update, software releases. Uh, I'll be version 2.1.0, the Shark Nebula. Add wallet page, add discovery page for Vita projects, add coincards.com, change wording to passcode, speed up injection of window objects, add window.albi method, new onboarding cards. Blink version 2.2.82, a bunch of updates as well. I'm going to like, it's just too many updates. So I'm going to just start uh, making them a little shorter. Unless uh, you guys, there's anything here you guys want to. Well, Blink was the Bitcoin beach wallet, right? That's the Galoi guys. They rebranded. Yes. All right. That's why I thought. Just want to make sure. Cashew 0.12.1. Nuts. Dynamic change output amounts. That's a nut eight update. Mint. Uh, <laughs> use the HTTPX library instead of requests asynchronous operations. A few other updates there. Wallet, huge performance increase. Uh, Multi-mint swap are now available in a nutshell. <laughs> the use of nuts everywhere. It's so good. I love it. Nuts to you. Option to mint tokens and a bunch of other things. Meet me wallet updates. Uh, added send max button to uh, for both on-chain and uh, new channel openings. Uh, better warning dialogue with helpful links. Zap now typically sends out under 10 seconds. In the pipeline, 
and in-app feedback forms, static channel backups, wallet recovery, authentication, and more. I love Mutiny Wallet. Uh, I've been playing with it a lot. It's fun. Yeah. Yes. I just got access to it maybe a couple weeks ago, and it's a great user experience. It just blows my mind. It's all in the browser. We talked about that earlier. It is. It is. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, again, it's like that feeling of like, you know, there's funds on the browser, but at the same time, it's like, holy shit, you don't need anybody's permission store. You don't need like hardware, anything. It just works. Right. It's pretty impressive. Mutiny node version 0.3.13 sets the floor for a minimized transaction fee rate when negotiating channel on chain fees it's more. And then there is like the version 0.3.10 and 0.3.12, a bunch of other changes too. Alex, uh, you're a lightning guy. Have you have you used their node? Um, sorry, who, whose node? Mutiny node. Mutiny? No, I haven't tried Mutiny node. Is it a from scratch implementation? Uh, don't know. Uh, I think I it may be a fork of LND. LDK. I think LDK. they're using LDK. Because yes. oh, okay, LDK right. has all the rest bindings so they can kick it over to Wasm and do all that stuff in the browser. I haven't tried it, no. Interesting. Uh, you, you should check out some of their stuff. It's like, it really is next level lightning stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'll check it out. It, it all runs in the browser. Interesting. Yeah, it's a progressive web app. So there's no app to download. You just click, click, go. And it's all in the browser. And it's a nice, okay. like the progressive web, web app experience in Apple is very much, you wouldn't know it's not an app, like a web app. Like it look, feels the same. Very cool. Huh. Yeah, and there's also Meet in the Net, which is their own Signet. That's like, Amazing. Like all, the, all the new features and stuff that people want to play with seem to be working there well. They launched cool. a token. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eclair version 0.9.0. Dual funding Eclair is now up to date with the latest state of dual funding specifications. Splicing prototype is out and both 12 offers. This is really cool. This, these are two things that we've all been waiting forever. Ever and ever <laughs> and and ever and more two weeks, so uh, it's nice to see splicing and uh, and both twelve sort of happening. Yeah, shout out to Dusty for grinding to get that done. I know he did it on the Sea Lightning side, and I'm a layer one boomer. But is this like the final? Like, is this multiple implementations using Bolt twelve now? Like, is this live? I, I don't know. I, I am a I am a real man do it on chain kind of guy. So <laughs> on the base uh, layer. Um, yeah, base layer boomer here. <laughs> yeah, I know there's a um, there's also a Lightning Dev Summit happening this week uh, in New York. So there's a lot of uh, spec alignment being done today uh, and tomorrow on a number of topics. I think Bolt Twelve. I, I don't know what the status is in LND. It's definitely. I think. It, I think the code is done. I don't know if it's actually shipped. Got it. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's being reviewed, um, which is, uh, as we all know, a long and arduous process. Um, but, you know, Bolt 12 is many things, and it's probably coming in bits and pieces. Um, I'm not sure exact, exactly how much of it is under review at this time. Yep. For people that want to get a better idea, we did an episode with, uh, with everybody about uh, Bolt 12 is definitely there. Lightning, privacy, and splicing channel. T-Bass, Dusty, Tony, Jaff, and Vivac. It was uh, episode 36. Oh, nice. Totally worth listening. Uh, Torque version 0.23.0. Very, very cool project. Uh, at least like how it looks. I haven't used it. But uh, uh, open telemetry instruments, uh, Jager, tracing, Prometheus export, peer page now supports. 
I don't know, for people running uh, uh, Lightning sort of in an enterprise setting, this seems to be a very cool way of, uh, of like keeping tab on things. Yeah, doing it all yourself is a pain. It's like a, um, I mean, we built a lot of our own software and, you know, having something plug and play seems kind of nice, especially with all sort of like the organizational permissions you need for people to have yes. access to things. So are you using Torque? You tried it? We're not. Uh, we're not right now because we ha- we've built a bunch of we, since we've been running Lightning for so long. We, <laughs> built in house, right? We were running things, yeah. So you know, maybe maybe that'll change down the road. But I haven't dug deep into it. I don't know if it does everything we need. But yeah, really, honestly, the, the one of the biggest challenges is accounting stuff with Lightning. So, yes. Um, we're actually in the last phases of an audit right now, and it's like explaining Lightning to the auditors every year is like the worst part of it. Yes. But anyways, that's a rabbit hole. You know, that's what programmers always miss when they work in financial software is that the fact that you still have to like produce spreadsheets with like a canonical way that an accountant needs to see. Yes. And we we do this every year. We also have to do our own like the whack calculation for us is like it's such an absolute nightmare because like we're essentially like both DCA, bulk acquiring Bitcoin, and then there's Bitcoin transactions out as well. And it's like that like a third to half of our revenue is in Bitcoin. So like, God, it's, uh, yeah, we, we've actually created an internal program that you put in a JSON file of all the transactions that happen in the shopping cart and it can understand how we do consolidations and what goes where and like understands adjustment lines is something that like Bitcoiners don't <laughs> seem to comprehend that you have an adjustment line and that does not have a transaction with it. And all these things are very sort of up to interpretation on how you want to do your accounting and how you want to do adjustments. Oh, it's, uh, and then it's like, like tax selection methodologies and yep. yeah, yeah, it's a whole can of worms. I, I'm saying like whoever comes up with like a true, true, amazing, like load up your UTXO list kind of thing and put in your notes and sort of like helps you like sort out your accounting of that wallet will will make a lot of money and ideally it pushes back to zero and quickbooks and things like that properly too yeah huge business opportunity there voltage surge uh surge provides node operators with a way to access visualize valuable data about their node data includes nodes health detailed payment history and a bunch of other things boats new web app uh, United Liquid and main chain swaps, uh, increased liquid swaps, and a bunch of other things. Uh, Lightning Terminal, multi node UX, manage multiple nodes in a single UX. Zebedee, time based rewards, get paid to Bitcoin simply playing games. Stacker News, version 1.0.5, remove block and flutter from block stuff profile page tap user button to send tip and layout adjustments all right project spotlight ldk node a ready to go lightning node library built using ldk and bdk this is a very cool project very very cool project so people should look at it coffee plugin manager a plugin manager for core not for c lightning core lightning c lightning Keep the terminology correct. Takes care of configuration installation of, of a plugin for your C Lightning node. Cashew RS Mint. A new Cashew Mint implementation in Rust. 
Lightning Piggy, an electronic cash piggy bank for children to accept Bitcoin sent over Lightning. Nostra updates. Uh, we're keeping very light updates for Nostra now because we have the Nostra review. Every, like, uh, we had one and we're going to have another one in probably a week or two. Primal One Tap Zaps. Now, uh, now uh, there is a demo and it's available on their Primal.net. Project Spotlight, Oak Node, a LND node tool that lets users send scheduled Lightning payments. Interact with your node over Nostra DMs, RPGP secured emails, my Nostra vanity keys, and more. Kind of cool. How do you do a pre-scheduled Lightning? I guess you just kind of set up on a cron job timer. I was thinking you're not pre-signing the transaction because if you're routing fees in between, you're changing your channel state, so you can't pre-commit ahead of time. So I guess you're just holding it and then initiating the transaction at a set time. I was thinking like it'd be like a pre-signed thing, like a PSBT, but your channel state changes and that doesn't yeah, work. Absolutely that way no idea. Right. Uh, boosts. Uh, so thanks guys for sending us some boosts. Uh, remember 5% of the boosts go to open sats. Ape Mifredir, uh, value for value. Do Bravco. Why you no read boosts? I read boosts for you now. Michael Matuleaf, the group laugher is contagious. Yes, the the Nostra review was uh, it was like we were all on uh, some funny gas or something. We couldn't stop laughing. Was I enjoy listening that Pablo just is like half that episode because he does seventy five projects. That's right. <laughs> he, it's it's kind of like the Pablo review. It is Pablo dot review. All right. Uh, so Optac News, uh, you know, people should go listen to their pod now and like go check the the actual newsletter, subscribe to it. We like to just list them, but we normally don't go into depth into them. Proposal to extend both 11 invoices to request two payments. Discussion about uh, Taproot Annex and draft BIP for silent payments. Um, so go go read in depth there. Uh, news and Noteworthy, uh, Ledger Recoverer, Cryptographic protocol white paper was released. Uh, it's kind of nice that they're releasing and trying to be more uh, more uh, open about their stuff. Uh, it's still tricky because you know, like most of the sources, it's going to be closed, uh, so it doesn't really matter if it's open in that sense. You can't verify. Bitkey invites first external customers in beta launch. Binance Pool launches the BTC transaction accelerator. Ministry of Nodes, Bitcoin node box, built from refurbished Dell Optax MicroPC. And it's actually uh, interesting that that node box is coming at quite a bit cheaper um, than the options in the node in the box solutions often. Um, so Really? Yeah. It's, um, the refurbished PC market is uh, pretty cost efficient. Yeah, I mean, Keton is a beast. Uh, that's who runs Ministry of Nodes. Bitcoin-centric AI, Spirit of Satoshi. Oh, that's kind of fun. Uh, I think maybe Brad is part of this group. Brad's obsessed with it. They're trying to teach uh, uh, one of this uh, one of this uh, AI chat chatbots to uh, to be more knowledgeable about Bitcoin and not just sort of spill out like crap from Wikipedia. It's kind of useful. Having fun doing that sometimes, presenting like scripts and then like having conversations with ChatGPT just on like what is the script doing, and then you get some weird answers, but it's gotten yeah. better. Binance joins Lightning Network with a node. So that's very interesting that Binance is like, you know, doing Lightning because they are like the biggest volume 
of all the exchanges, right? So, uh, you know, I think that's going to be big. Yeah. I think it's like a big, like, boost in the network effect. For sure. I mean, like, Noster was probably like the most amount of transactions Lightning ever had. So, like, and that shouldn't be true, <laughs> you know, because, like, you know, it's, it's like maybe 700,000 active users on, on Noster. Uh, we we want to see like you know, like the next thing and, and yes, Binance is ginormous. The Lightning Network is closely approaching all time high levels, five thousand six hundred BTC on the network. Uh, Santander uh, blog post highlights the benefits of Lightning in AS and Bitcoin scalability. That's interesting. Miscellaneous. Uh, this is not. This is neither Bitcoin nor Lightning. But it kind of uses both. So uh, Taproot Assets, uh, they had a, a, a software update version 0.2.2. It's kind of an interesting project. You can actually now create shit coins on Bitcoin, essentially. <laughs> well, I think we, we all hope that the NFTs leave the base chain and go off and use TapD. I mean, that would be ideal. It seems to be designed for it. So, Oh, dream on, man. Oh. The, the, the guys who like to collect shit, they want to see it on a block. Gens one. Well, the non-fungible um, assets with Taproot assets, they have they have collectibles and then the fungible assets. So the fungible assets are transferable over Lightning, but the non the the, the collectibles aren't. Hmm. So it would still be on the base chain. Okay, so they're hmm. still taking space. That's what the market wants. Yeah, like if you really th- if you think about like the first principles, you can't like transfer. You can't have a because yeah. the channel the, the channels are going to be asset specific. So you can't have an asset-specific channel for a non-fungible asset. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the market is going to do what the market is going to do. Yeah, that's it. The mempool is showing signs of reducing in size. Um, I like to watch it, as do yeah. many. I mean, you know, if Bitcoin is winning, technically it should never clear again, you know? Yeah. Finance. Uh, okay, crypto... Custody, Prime Trust. Oh, I hate this part of the show. I'm not even going to do it. <laughs> so yeah, Prime Trust, man. Like, what a fucking shit show. I, I feel for the new CEO who, who got in there to, to inherit that clusterfuck, probably not knowing the depth of the clusterfuck. I always feel for the CEOs who join a sinking ship and, and have to clean up the house as best as they can. And and they end up inheriting the, the blame too. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a fucking shit job. Yeah, the thing about these like trust companies is you get like the normie CEO that comes in and doesn't understand that there's this whole new landscape of things that could go wrong that's yeah. not possible that he's never seen in his career. Yeah. Yeah, was it like a 56% of the assets they have on hand for the liabilities of the trust accounts? And just the, the whole idea of a trust account is that shouldn't be possible. And then it's going to be a whole question like... Nothing but, is possible until your asset drops 50% in price, right? Well, yeah. Uh. And then they, they have, apparently, I was looking at the notes, like, they have $60 million of this random, like, wave token thing that's just sitting there as, like, their assets on balance sheet, but there's no but, liquidity. Know, so they don't them, really have $60 million of token asset. They I have think very they, much less. They had pretty much all the Bitcoin. The Bitcoin was there. So, like, the... All the Bitcoin users left. Yeah, well, but... the. There is there was essentially at the time that lawsuit paper came out, the I think they had like almost one to one to the sixty nine million worth of Bitcoin and sixty eight sorry sixty eight million worth of Bitcoin liabilities and, and sixty nine million in Bitcoin or something. I like think that. that was their crypto liability, and that's what I was talking oh, I about. Like their crypto liability, there was like basically near full. Why but- are we talking about this? 
It's not softer. <laughs> Fuck this shit. Well, the, the well, cryptography. Well, yeah. well, there was some soft. They, what happened was they lost the keys. Yeah. <laughs> it was a Fireblocks instance, right? Right. Yeah. So they they messed up the software. They messed up the key management, and people kept depositing to addresses they didn't have the keys Jesus. to, based on the docs that came out. Scary. So it is actually there. Was, it actually was a software and organizational failure. Thanks for clearing this up, Alex. Yeah. I mean, Fireblocks is uh, the MPC shit show that you have to do because it's not Bitcoin. Well, actually, the MPC. Well, I actually, I would actually counter that and say um, MPC, like. It would still be required with Bitcoin to give the guarantees you want with a product like that, which is like permanent addresses with the ability to rotate out signers like Frost. I see. Yeah, no, but that's the thing, right? You're not using Bitcoin primitives, right? That's that's the reason why they do MPC. My understanding of what happened could have happened with a multi-sig wallet. They just like lost it. Like they just they didn't back it up and lost the keys. But like the new management didn't realize this and started reusing that wallet and those deposit addresses. And a bunch of deposits started flowing there, and they're inaccessible. So it could have happened with a ledger. It could have happened with any any key management solution. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it yeah, it, it's a very hard thing too. I mean, like it's all new, right? Like, there's not like you know we don't have a hundred years of like you know custodying like a digital asset, right? Like it's uh, it's it's tricky. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 almost always like somebody you can appeal to, right? You just keep going up the chain uh, until you appeal to somebody in the fiat fiat world. But when you lose a private key, it's 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 a very different situation. As we know, you, you, there is no one you can appeal appeal to. And I think you know, as as a industry, as a as a you know, we we're just not used to that. We're just not used to this thing is gone and gone forever. And there's absolutely no way I can get it back no matter how much money I spend. It's just, you know, it's just not something which is familiar to us. And that's I sent a tweet out earlier this week that like the cryptography is like 80 to 100 years ahead of the legislation and understanding this stuff. Like it's very, exactly. you'll never be a parody. And, and no, no, because the law is like, is, is just interpretation. It's not math, right? I mean, it, it is what the people of the day want it to be. So yeah, like, you know, there's nothing you can do really. Software and math would never be fully compatible with the law because, you know, in court, it's going to be like whoever has the experts, the the judge or the jury sort of like believe. And that's it. Like, you know, you can probably, um, you know, convince the jury that like two plus two equals five and that's it. Like there's no precedent in law for that. Well, Craig Rice trying to do that. Yeah. For BSV. Exactly. Yeah. Court orders into the blockchain. Hey, Alex, I know you need to leave. So uh, do you want to give your final thoughts before you jump? Thanks for having me on the show. I'd say learn to build. Uh, I love that. And keep getting smarter and smarter about all the types of risks that uh, you know might impact you and your assets and your coins or those of people you care about or the companies you run. You can't be too informed and uh, don't be afraid to think for yourself. Good one, sir. Thank you for coming. See you guys. And surviving Thanks, Alex. an hour and 40 minutes. Take care. All right. Uh, the Bitcoin ETF race. Also not interested in talking about it. Just going to say that MicroStrategy is kind of already the ETF anyway. So I don't think BlackRock would waste their time if they didn't think they had a chance. But, yeah. you know, maybe it's just signaling. Maybe they just want to pump the price because they have bags now. 
All right. So Hong Kong HSBCs allows customers to trade Bitcoin ETFs, signaling a shifting. That's interesting too. Mm. I mean, listen, you know, everybody wants your sats, right? They're all coming for your sats. Shitcoin wreckage. Uh, unregistered securities removed from Robinhood. <laughs> That's funny. Security. Uh, North Korean hackers pocketed more than 100 million in atomic wallet hack. Ha. Oh, man. It's got, like essentially like North Korea now runs on Bitcoin hacks, right? Like and, and like crypto asset, like shitcoinery hacks. Yeah. So Atomic Wallet was a multi-coin wallet. What was the bug that they had that caused that leak of funds? We actually don't know. They at, at least, you know, there's been no sort of clear information that I've seen uh, that indicates what the cause was, which which is probably even worse than knowing what it was. Right. So yeah, it's I mean, it feels like all of these, you know, if you do a search for Bitcoin wallet, as we all know, and you just the, the top names that come up are just wallets that should never be used. And it feels like every one of them is going to have to be hacked so yep. that better wallets come up to the top. Yep. <laughs> Maybe the path of maximum pain is the only path as as Adele would say. Yep. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, people don't learn, right? Uh, malicious Trezor Wallet Suite app in the App Store steals crypto by requesting seed phrase. You know, I always say this, like, hardware wallets should not have client wallets. It, it's, a, it's a security hole. Like, I want a third party, another vendor to be the client wallet. Because now you have two parties participating in a transaction, right? through two solutions so they kind of help things in check it keeps sanity hygiene security hygiene anyways it's uh and you know like trezor ledger suites and things they all like essentially have those so they can unload shit coins easy for people into them like you know it's easy for people to one click buy shit yeah it, this is all because of the shit coinery all of this <laughs> Yeah. And and I would go further to what you just said. I think that if you are if if you're the guy who who's building the wallet that people run, you should ideally not be be running the server that it connects to as well. You should yes. you know, so you should have a different vendor for the hardware wallet, a different vendor for the software wallet, and then someone else running the server that it connects to. So you should actually be able to broken up into three because then you really have the chance of collusion between all of those three part parties being extremely low. And I think that that's, that's a good, healthy place to be. Yeah, it just makes sense that you're distributing the governance and the running of that code across multiple entities in a way where it's that Pulp Fiction meme, right? Everyone's holding a gun to everyone else's yep. head and you just don't have to worry about being controlling like where all that information's sitting. Yep. It, yeah. It's, you know, I really, I, re I really feel strong about this. It's one of the reasons why we never made an app, like a CoinKite wallet app. Right. You know, we could make a great app and then it'll be easy to use, you know, but like, it's not good. You know, it's not a, like, again, anti-pattern. I think the way CoinKite you guys chose to handle this, just, I mentioned earlier, just going with descriptors, going with PSBTs. Yeah. It's like, here's a very simple format that everyone else speaks and it just, make that your like you handle it i mean the only reason why we made code card is because psbt was around right we weren't going to make it because there is absolutely no way i'm going to make a hardware wallet that requires a custom protocol for the wallet to talk to the client wallet right right and you know like the way it should be is you know we go and we talk to craig about like more things more integration more easy of use things we can do together as two vendors and what's nice is that he keeps us in check. We keep him in check, right? As mm -hmm. the two separate actors interacting with that transaction. 
It's like you gain security in that. You gain more bug checks and, and like it's an important relationship. Yeah, I, I think that Andrew Chow is very much the unsung hero for the PSPT and output descriptor work he's he's done. Uh, you know, he doesn't get talked about much, but he's put a lot in that a lot of the stuff we build today is built built on. So yeah, credit to him. Yeah, I mean, like he built, he did a HWI, which was like ungodly work, maintaining like a bunch of USB like drivers for every hardware wallet. He still does it. Yeah, he still does. Still does. And PSPT, like he wrote it, that it was forgotten for years. Like it was completely unused. Yeah. And now there's a PSPT V2. Yeah. But no one's, the only people I see that were touching that, I actually found someone else. So Ledger's using PSPT V2s and C Lightning is using PSPT V2s. We're starting to, to look into it. Like yeah. it's going to have to happen because there's reasons. Got it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, started from hater to lover. This is strong beliefs loosely held. That's right. My, uh, my way of existing. That's right. So uh, it's funny. Like we have a few listeners that don't take the, don't, don't take the, like they don't understand it's a joke sometimes that I'm like <laughs> shitting on some stuff. So like they, they, they send some hate mail, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, new Spyro grantee. Matthew is experienced iOS developer. Oh, it's uh, okay. Yeah. Matthew Ramsday. Like he uh, also built a screen, block screen. It's like a nice yep. little app for the iPhone that shows the, the block. Uh, the block height. Yeah, that's great. He co-hosts he's the great. Nashville Bit Devs. So he, yeah, he's awesome. He's, he's really good. Yeah. It's good that Steve has some BDK buddies. He works on LTK, BDK, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very nice. Uh, mining Riot purchases uh, 7.6 hashes. Jesus Christ. Reads uh, deep dive into zero knowledge proofs by Noah. So these are like articles, links that we have on the show notes. Uh, Arc Layer 2, Groundbreaking Development in Bitcoin Transaction Landscape by NOAA. Bitcoin as a nonviolent tool against state financial censorship. That's great. Uh, by Vio M. Kakomaki. I can't, I'm sorry, I'm butchering names here. I have one more to add to the list. I highly recommend if you're a dev to, to read this and take this deeply inside you grugbrain.dev uh it is a fantastic piece of uh of of like a reflection and advice on how to be a developer and like how you should think about your code you know it, it really talks about like you know complexity is the enemy it's really really good piece it's actually part of the obligated reading list now at coinkite if you're a dev is this your website or is this someone else put this up no 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 this is somebody oh else. this is great I'm gonna it's have to really, really good. I identify as a left curver, so this I'll have to give this a read. Nice. Any other things we're missing, guys? No, well, nothing much going on in Bitcoin. We got to the part of the show where even the guests are falling to sleep and disappearing. That that's since Alex isn't here anymore. I'm just gonna say he fell asleep. He didn't actually have to leave. He... That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, guys. Uh, thank you so much for coming. Uh, any final thoughts, Craig? I guess I'm just going to say with everything going on in Bitcoin right now, the answer, as always, is to self-custody. You know, get a wallet, download your funds and make sure that you hold them yourself. Don't delay. But I know that I'm speaking to the choir here because anyone who survived this this far is doing that already. Hundred <laughs> percent. That's right. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, the motto is there is nothing happening in Bitcoin. OK, nothing. This list we just read was totally bullshit. 
Rob, uh, any final thoughts? Final thoughts, yeah. Um, if you're curious about anything I talked about with Miniscript, uh, just hit me up on Twitter at Rob1HAM, Rob1HAM, and uh, I'm happy to... I've had a lot of people reach out to me that are working on small projects touching it, so I'm always happy to be a sounding board. And if you want to test, also hit me up as well for a little stuff we're doing with uh, CoinKite, uh, getting the cold card merged in with Trident now. And uh, yeah, I would echo Craig's uh, sentiment, self-custody and uh, learn to build. Just keep on. Uh, the bear markets are here for you to improve yourself. So this is a great time just to get dirty. Whatever level of competency you are, go one step further. There's always that advice, Rodolfo, you've said on. Just think about if your Bitcoin was 10x. So understanding what your security situation is and be anticipating for when you know the price rips again, you want to make sure that you're in your lane, moisturized, happy, content, secure, and no problems at all. So this Flourishing. is now is the time to do that and not frantically when Bitcoin rips and all of a sudden, you know, you have way too much money stored under your mattress. That's right. Custody your shit, get your shit together custody wise before the pumps. Right. Then like once you like never move funds fast, like never, like never freak out and do things. Like order the hardware wallets, get one of each, try them all before you decide what you want to use, you know, like, and then gift the ones that you don't want to other friends, <laughs> you know, like, but seriously, like try the stuff, you know, all this stuff is cheap and, and like, you know, learn and, and go slow and, you know, Bitcoin and chill. All right, guys, thank you so much. And uh, with this, we are out. Thanks for listening. For more resources, check the show notes. We put a lot of effort into them. And remember, we don't have a crystal ball. So let us know about your project. Visit Bitcoin.review to find out how to get in touch. Mm-hmm.